0: is going on. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in today. This is the very first episode of my new streamcast, The Drop-In. And it is... It has been building for a while, I just got to tell you that. We've been working since about October, putting things together, put the pieces together, do this, do that, do this, and we finally have it all together today. And I want to thank you once again. I'm going to thank you like 500 times for tuning in because this is a big day for my life. It, it really is. I mean, the morning was incredible. I'm driving and I might get emotional now. So don't make fun of me because I might cry a little bit. Maybe, you know, it, it might get a little crazy because it's just been a huge, huge uh, opportunity, journey, whatever you want to call it, whatever you really want to call it. But I'm driving along this morning and I'm like, this is it. This is the big day. You know, we're premiering the show. We've been working so long and getting into it. And uh, a song came on. And I just started singing along with it. Next thing you know, Water Works. And I'm, I'm crying because in my life, as we're gonna work through, as we uh, move forward with these shows, we're gonna talk about uh, my life, my guest life, how the hurdles we had to get over, how we've accomplished different goals. But for me, four or five years ago, I was almost dead. I wasn't treating myself very good. And as I was driving, it hit me. And look where I'm at today. And we're here today uh, the very first show to drop in on uh, new radio media. And it's just, it's, it's really amazing to me. So thank you for sharing this day with me. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's going to be exciting. There's going to be some crazy stories. There are there were going to be some really crazy stories. My guest today, we randomly met about 10 years ago. We randomly met. I happened to be at the Gibraltar Trade Center. And, uh, you know, we just talked. We connected a little bit and just stayed in touch. And I started a podcast from my couch about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, he came on and I've watched him. I know he's watched me and we're on similar paths, but different. And it's just been super rad. And so when this all came together, I knew immediately that I wanted Kurt A. David to be my first guest. I knew it uh, before anything else happened. I knew he would be my first guest. And so stick with me for the next 60 minutes and you're going to hear why Kurt David is my first guest. But even the journey here. You know kurt asked me we were talking beforehand and he asked me you know how how'd you guys hook up how'd you hook up here and uh i volunteered at the tedx detroit this year i just come out with a broken leg if you follow me on social media you saw it you had plates in my legs whatever whatever and um i volunteered there and i was um you know not sure what to expect i eventually want to speak there so i want to see how it operated and whatnot well at tedx they have like trade shows so you can visit vendors, you can talk to people and whatnot. Well, new radio media happened to be there. And I dropped off one business card that day. One business card that day. And I, got a, a, I had a great day. I got to watch a lot of speakers. I was inspired. I was fired up. And uh, a few weeks later, there's some weird, crazy southern lady calling me on the phone. And I I didn't answer the first couple times, and then I did, and we had an amazing conversation. I spoke with Marianne for a while, and we had just a great conversation. We connected, and next thing you know, I'm talking with Paul. I'm talking with different people here at NRM, and we're seeing how we can work together. And that was October, and now we're where we're at. And it's just been just a fun journey, you know, and and inspiring people and building up to this moment. It's been very emotional, very fun, very exciting. And now we are here. There was a cake in the back room, a freaking cake in the back room. I can't back up. I told them they might have to get me a Janet Jackson microphone because I like to move around. I'm I'm very, uh, you know, Janet Jackson is right. But I'm very animated and I like to jump around. They're like, you have to sort of stay still so they can hear you. It's the point of the show right you want to hear what I'm saying if I'm jumping around over there you ain't gonna hear it but um, anyway where was I I got off track there a little bit but um anyway we're stoked to be here today it's been a great journey the cake in the back room just blew my mind my wife sent my favorite candy and my favorite candy is Skittles and Starburst and stuff like that total sugar buzz love it she sent that thank you very much honey um, it's it's really it's truly amazing and i'm honored to be here and i'm honored that you're taking the time to visit with me for the next hour and uh it's going to be a great journey you know we're slated to do a bunch of episodes once a week 5 o'clock Thursdays, and the guests are very diverse, you know. I have Kurt A. David here today. We got Trevor Staples coming in from the Tony Hawk Foundation, Mike Leslie from Candlebox, talking to Buddhist monks, Jay Navarro from the Suicide Machines, a lot of different kinds of guests, all with one goal, and that's to inspire you to get off the darn couch. Get off the couch, make life happen. It, it, it is not a dress rehearsal. It is not a dress rehearsal. This life, you have one shot one shot, and it's your choice. You're accountable for your life. So if you ain't doing what you want to be doing, it's your own fault. And that's the goal of this show. Every guest is to inspire you to make the most of the life you have. And we're going to do this today with my buddy, Kurt. So if you don't know, if you haven't Googled them yet, if you don't know, look them up, Check him out from Glory Days, Google search Kurt A. David as I'm talking. Friend him, follow him, all that kind of stuff, because he does amazing things. You know, from playing in the NBA Developmental League and then uh, going into sports psychology and trying to help other athletes. Because it's an 80%. I believe he told me a long time ago, about 80% of retired athletes are either broke... Or divorced. It's somewhere right around there. I'm not that far off. And it sounds like a huge number, but after they start stop competing, that adrenaline goes away. That camaraderie goes away. And then what? And then what? And so Kurt started helping athletes, helping them out. And it dovetailed into writing a book called From Glory Days. And that's how we met. He was doing a book signing down in Taylor, and that's how we initially met. And so as he moved forward with the book, it became a, a, a television show. And now he started getting these guests to come and talk about that journey. No different than what we're going to do today. But he started getting them to come. And it has just grown. And it has continued to grown, or grow. excuse me. And now, you know, with national affiliation, Amazon on board, they're getting it. You know, the networks are getting it that we are so bombarded with negativity nonstop from the news to the drama on, you know, whatever, Housewives of the Caribbean, whatever. We're so bombarded with that. And the networks are starting to recognize, you know what, this is positive. What this is pretty cool and can help people. Let's get on that. And so it's just it's been really fun for me to watch a friend of mine continue down a path. That he's passionate about and if you know me if you followed me on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube you know I talk about following your passion and and you may not end up being you know I always talk about guitar player you might start playing guitar and you may not end up selling out arenas but you might end up working for fender guitars and designing bodies for guitars or guitar straps or whatever and that's a a lot you know yeah pro skateboarding awesome But that opened up doors for me to really follow my passion, and that's to inspire you to get off your damn couch, you know. So um, following your passion's always been very important for me, and I've watched Kurt do the same thing, you know, from basketball to writing a book to now a TV show that's all across the world to inspire people and help people. And he's doing some other cool things as well. I mean, you, you wait till the end of the show because we're going to hit on this birthday cake thing. It's going to blow your mind. So stay with us all the way to the end of the show. So without too much more, I want to introduce you to a great friend of mine. And I'm honored to have him here on my very first show. And I have to quit banging on the table. You're going to see some different things. You know, I'm going to move around a little bit and bang on tables. But, um, you know, I'm honored to have him here today. Honored to have him in a, in the studio today, and I actually gave him a call, and I'm like, "Everything good?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, everything's good, man." So, um, without too much more, uh, Kurt, uh, thank you so much. No, for Oh, Gerald, it's today. great
1: to be here. But you know what? I, I, I'm still hung up on that song from your drive-in this morning that brought a tear to your eye. Wasn't a Barry Manilow song, was it this morning? <laughs> no, a little bit further away from that, okay, but okay, <laughs> good because I, I had to ask. I was caught up in there when, as soon as you mentioned, I thought I got to ask that question. But, <laughs> So great, great uh, intro. I appreciate it. Um, One of the things that I think that you and I have a common bond in is is exactly that, finding passion, finding purpose, pursuing that passion and purpose. As you well know, um, you and I talked about the stats, and I'll I'll give you those stats. 100% of professional athletes ultimately lose their job. Undeniable fact, whether it be skateboarding, basketball, football, whatever it is, 100% of professional athletes ultimately are done at some point. 25% of NFL players are broke within the first year out. 78% 78% of NFL players within the second year are broke. 60% of NBA players within five years are broke. And there's an 80% divorce rate. So, from job loss to disaster. That's the reality for pro athletes. I had my own transition. I played, you know, overseas mostly, but when I came back, I literally. I uh, had a five-year transition where it took me a while just to relax, like I wasn't in competition with everybody. But that gave me the foundation. My own playing experience and my counseling background gave me a foundation to come up with an idea. And, and this is one of the things that you and I really appreciate is that every, every great book, every great TV show, every great inspirational speaker has one thing that started, and that was an idea. It all started with an idea. This show, right, the drop-in, it started with an idea. And that's how it blossoms. Everything you see out there starts with an idea. And so I had an idea, and the idea was, what would it be like to sit down with other former professional athletes and hear their life about after pro sports? In other words, not just about those glory days, right? We can talk about the Hall of Fame, the World Championships, but what would that be like to talk to them about life after pro sports? But more importantly, how did they recreate their success? How did he recreate How did he go from being a World Series champion to all of a sudden I'm broke, all of a sudden I don't have a wife anymore, all of a sudden I'm I'm trying to figure out how to make ends meet, and as a result then talk about, well, this is how I recreated my success again. And so, the great image that we're seeing right now is, is uh, in fact, that was a newspaper article. I lit it up for 33 points that night, by the <laughs> way, that, that day that picture was taken. All crazy hair and beard and short shorts at that time. I
0: love it! I love
1: it! But having a great time, uh, you know, traveling around the world, getting paid to play basketball, imagine that. Uh, that was 30 pounds ago, by the way. I don't go by years, I go by pounds. That was 30 pounds ago. But that, was, that gave me the foundation to start looking at, okay, well, pro sports only lasts for so long. What do you do after that? I mean, if you're lucky, the average is around three years. If you're lucky, you might play to your 30s, maybe 40s if you're
0: extremely lucky. But even then, you got a lot of life ahead of you. So- you know, and thank you once again for being here, Kurt. This is awesome for me because I'm like a little kid. You know, this show gives me the opportunity to invite people who I look up to, who inspire me. Well, and and at six so, foot nine, it doesn't. You know, it happens pretty easily, right? <laughs> yeah, neck cramp. I'm five foot six and a half. Yeah. You know, so I'm like your little little sidekick, like twins. Remember Danny DeVito? Oh, and, You know, that's yeah. Which one am I? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh-huh. all right. I had to ask. Just look at the picture. <laughs> but um, where did you grow up? How did you start playing basketball? I'd like to know about that, and I think our, our listeners yeah, and, and yeah. viewers well, would like our, to know. Our
1: foundation was interesting. I grew up, there was six of us in my family, three boys and three girls. I grew up in northern Michigan in a town called Gaylord, Gaylord, Michigan, about an hour south of the Mackinac Bridge. And there was six of us in the family, and all six of us were on full-ride athletic scholarship, and two of us played professionally. Wow. So imagine that household growing up. That just gives you gives you a foundation of, of what it was like. In other words, extremely competitive. What weekly food bill? Uh, That's uh, all I, I, I want to know. know. I, don't, I don't know how they <laughs> clothed and fed us, to be honest. I'm six foot nine. I got a brother six seven, another brother six six. Sisters are tall. We did have one run to the litter. Our, my older sister was only five six, but she ran track at Central Michigan University, so she was the runner. The rest of us were uh, basketball players. But, you know, that gave us a foundation for two reasons. One is that we, we had a sublimation of our energy drive. Our sports was our sublimation. In other words, we were doing so much positive, we didn't have that much energy for something negative. And I think that's one of the lessons for young people as well, and adults as well, that are parents, is if you can sublimate those energy drives, I mean, think about that much energy in a household with six kids that were extremely active. Fortunately, it was used in a positive matter. We played sports. Right on. Uh, one of the guys I interviewed Uh, for the book was his name was Kelly Terpuka. Kelly played for the Pistons for quite a while, Mm -hmm. had a great career in the NBA, all-star career. One of the things that he said foundationally growing up, he had five people in his house growing up, brothers and sisters, and he said one of the rules that his dad laid down early was that you're not just coming home after school and get to sit around on the couch, right? You're going to find something else. I don't care what it is. If it's sports, if it's you know, music, you're going to do something else, not just come home after school and just lay around or sit around. That was the foundation for him to get into sports, for him, and his brothers and sisters as well. And so, whatever it is, and, and you know, people in the audience, it, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's drama, sometimes it's right, you know, whatever it is that the, the passion and purpose is, do something else other than just sit around. You know, that's the whole motivation of the drop in, yep, right?
0: Yep, exactly, exactly. And and so coming out of Gaylord, um Gaylord, right? You yeah, said, yeah. Uh you know, I've been through that town. Not the biggest town in the world. Well, it's, you know? it's
1: not the same town I grew up in. Yeah. I mean, Baylor's changed. When we got a, when I was growing up, we got a McDonald's, and it was like the end of the world. Right. right now right. I got everything up there.
0: It's still still not the biggest town on the planet. No. And so you come up playing basketball through there, and then how do you end up playing in Europe? How yeah, does that happen? I, uh, I
1: played basketball at Saginaw Valley State University. After that, I chose to go there full ride scholarship. Played at Saginaw Valley, and then. The summer before my senior year in college, I worked a couple I worked a lot of camps, and one of the camps there was a gentleman there from Europe and he says, Hey, you know, have you ever considered playing basketball over in Europe? You're pretty good. And I said, Well, I got one more year of college, you know, I want to finish college and, and so I finished college and we kept in touch and when I got done playing, he said, Hey, why don't you come on over? So I ended up going over there, played in Germany, had a great fun time over there, paid vacation. Um Unfortunately, uh, I I had a free agent tryout. I came back over here in the States to play and went in for knee surgery and found out it was time to get a real job. So basically the orthopedic surgeon said, hey, you can keep playing and not walk by the time you're 40 or you can give it up. And as a 25, 26 year old young man, it's a pretty sobering reality. Mm -hmm. Basically lost my career, my income, part of my identity as a result. And so that started my transition out of sports. And as a result, I uh, started looking at other options, you know, what else like I Fortunately, I had a degree. I finished my bachelor's degree, and so I was able to get into that world. And I finished my master's. Actually, the first year, I took a whole year off after I was done playing. And part of that year, I started working on a master's in counseling. I thought, well, I got to do something productive. And so that was the foundation for getting my counseling degree. Um, then got into coaching. I was coaching for a while uh, as a basketball coach. Got into counseling for a long time and then just it was really literally one of those three four o'clock in the morning ideas I woke up literally and I thought boy wouldn't it be cool to sit down with other former professional athletes and hear about their life after pro sports and that was the foundation of that thought of from glory days and so it started with interviewing twenty former professional athletes Pistons, Tigers, Red Wings and Lions about their life And after those interviews, it turned into a book, and I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. You know, I did a lot of signings, and this is where we met at one of those. Mm -hmm. We probably did about 60, 70 signings in the first year. And so we did pretty well with it. And then it was like, boy, this is a pretty popular topic, right? And so we... The agent at that time, uh, Storm here locally, great guy, he and I talked about doing a TV show. He says, well, this is bigger. Let's try a TV show. So we started off very small potatoes, literally started off on cable access here in Metro Detroit.
0: And, you know, that was when I came down and was a guest in the the studio audience. You know, he was going to have, I think, uh, Doug Smith was on that show. Doug Smith was there from uh, Ottawa. Yep, Greg Greg Steffen was on the show. And when I heard Greg Steffen, I'm like, i got to be in that. Because when I was about 12, 13 years old, I was drawing Pictures of Greg Stefan I grew up playing ice hockey I was a goaltender at four years old played I still actually stop hockey pucks when they need me but uh, to get a chance to talk to Greg Stefan for me was a great opportunity so I came out not too far from here or uh yeah, not yeah, right too over far in Troy from here. Right here. Yeah, it's and, our first tapings. Uh, and I got to be at the podium and ask mm-hmm. Stefan a question and talk about how he inspired me at a young age, and um, that was pretty cool for me. And to watch uh, where you're going now, yeah. you know, it's 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 that was been a very really humble cool.
1: beginning. I mean, that was extremely humble. Cable access show. We did nine episodes. Uh, you know, we, we eventually scaled it more and more as time goes on. I mean, the picture we're seeing right now is Darren McCarty. We had Darren on this past year, four-time Stanley Cup champion. We also, as a hockey player and, and a goalie, we had Manon Rion on. Manon oh. was the first female in the mm-hmm. NHL, played for Tampa, Tampa Bay. Bay. We yeah. had her on the show in Season 2. And so it, it's been a neat journey of, of athletes, and, and, you know, we can go through the whole list. I've done 50 TV interviews so far, and it's neat to hear their stories because I can ask the same questions but their stories are all different, right? When you talk about that life after pro sports, and and we talk about the glory days. Of course, we have to talk about the glory days. What was it like to win a championship? Uh, How did you handle that transition? I mean, for Darren McCarty, it was a very sobering reality, and he was very candid about it. His addictions, gambling, drugs, bankruptcy, he literally, the next step for him would have been death, literally, and he fortunately found a turnaround. He moved away, wrote his book, uh, remarried, and as a result, you know, great for him. He's been sober for over two years now, and I really applaud that. And that's well, one and of the reasons why we had a, wanted to have him on the show.
0: Yeah, and it's good to see him around town. You Absolutely. know, where I live, I'm in the Down River area uh, south of Detroit, and, mm-hmm. and McCarty is huge. Mm-hmm. He's huge down there. In the blue-collar parts of Michigan, he is like a god. The grinder. It, yeah, he's a yeah. grinder. Yeah. And so he's doing, like, some comedy stuff and some guest stuff here yes. and there. And it's rad to see him doing that. He'd be
1: a great guest for your show.
0: Oh, you know what? I don't see that being too far off with Darren McCarty because um, you know the stuff he's doing and what he has overcome eventually you know as the show continues to move forward and you learn about me more and you learn about my guests we're going to see how there really is a cohesiveness between people who are driven and who are, are willing to take action. You know, one of the things I, I really hit home for me listening to you speak, Kurt, is is how you took action. You know, you mm-hmm. had an idea at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning yes. and, and said, you know what, I, I'd like to investigate that. But you actually took action to do it. Yeah. With this uh, platform, for me, it was the same type of thing. In 2010, I couldn't walk very well. Mm-hmm. And I was having some hip issues. And so what I did was say, I need to. I still need this adrenaline what can i do to continue if i can't be active if i can't be riding my skateboard or playing hockey or running triathlons if i can't do that what can i do when i started a podcast
1: yeah, we're and wired a, differently, aren't we, as athletes? Completely, uh, completely. We're completely. wired very differently.
0: And if you don't have adrenaline, it's like somebody not having their cigarettes or not having their coffee. Like, you start getting antsy after a day How or two. How about oxygen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A better analogy yeah, is oxygen, yeah. for sure. For sure. And so it's it's really cool to hear the similarities but differences about those uh, the, the journeys we've been on. Mm-hmm. And that comes across, I'm sure, as you get to interview the Tommy Hearns of the world or yes. you get to interview, you know, Billy Sims or... Or, or go over here and Greg Steffen and McCarty and, and, and the different ways they've had to um, deal with that the transition. retirement part. Yeah. You know, Steffen's a, a golf pro, you yeah. know, and um, went and to a totally different sport as a result. Th- and, completely. And, teaching and, and, and
1: Dan Petrie from the 84 Tigers, World Series Championship Tigers. Dan talked about how at 35 years old, he had to learn how to write a resume. Right? He wow. had no idea because all he knew was baseball. From the wow. time he was young to the time he, you know, from uh, high school, he goes right into the pros, gets drafted and goes right into the pros, plays till he's 35 years old and all of a sudden, 35 comes along and it's like, well, now what? Right, now what? And and I'm 35, I got a lot of life ahead of me. I didn't make enough money just to sit around and count it, right, at that time in that era. Even the guys now, I mean, even with those bankruptcy rates, and, and I guess I, I wanna address that because it gets promoted and asked about often of, boy, how, how can they make so much money and then go broke, right? How, how can these guys go broke? And and it, it's very simple, actually. Like I tell people, I don't care how much money you make, if you suddenly take a 95% pay cut, that's a major lifestyle change. And most of them aren't ready for that. It's, it's injury, it's, boy, they get waived, you know, they're expecting to have that kind of income. Um, and with the marriages, what I tell people is that, you know, I don't care how much you love somebody, you're around somebody six months out of the year because you're traveling the other six months for your sport. All of a sudden, that sport's over, and now you're toe-to-toe every single day mm-hmm. with a 95% pay cut. Mm-hmm. Those of us in relationships, think about that.
0: that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can just sit there and visualize what he's talking about. You know, you have a complete life change. And, I mean, every facet right. of your life. From not being a- on the
1: road six months out of the year, to all of a sudden you're toe-to-toe with your spouse or family, and, and you have a 95% pay cut, and it's like, ooh, talk about stress. Right. I'll give right. you a great But it, it's not, you know, sometimes people think, oh, they're out having affairs or they're out gambling. You know, sometimes it's not always that of why they lose their money. Athletes lose their money. I'll give you a great example. I have a good friend. He was a pitcher with the 84 Tigers, but he also went on to pitch in the World Series in 1992, pitched with the Philadelphia Phillies. He pitched four out of six World Series games. He was in the game four out of six times as a pitcher. I mean, talk about pinnacle of a career. Uh, Oh Yeah. Two years after that, he was in a rural factory in northern Michigan just to make ends meet. And here's the story. After the World Series, obviously he made good money, he was doing well. He and his wife had agreed that, hey, when I start making good money, we're going to help your parents out with their house, we're going to help out my parents with my ho- their house. And so that was the generosity, thinking that, okay, I got three, four, or five more years of this kind of income. The following year, he got injured during a baseball strike, not under contract, had zero income, was never able to come back from that injury. He had zero income for two years, trying to come back, trying to rehab that injury, just couldn't do it. Finally got to the point where it was like, oh, my goodness, I don't have any more money. (laughs) I got to go work a job. And he he literally moved back home where he was from in northern Michigan and worked in a factory just to make ends meet until he got back on his feet again.
0: Well, thank you for telling that story, because, yeah, I'm sure most people— Assume like it's a docudrama. You mm-hmm. know, like you, you blew all the money on a bunch of garbage, you're sleeping with 14 women, mm-hmm. you go home and you get in a fight because you were sleeping with 14 women or whatever the case is, you right. know. So this is a very, very good case mm-hmm. of saying I want to help the people around me and then the rug gets pulled out from under you and now now what? You yeah. know, now what? And so it's uh, it's uh, it's got to be incredible. You it know? is. In 07, I, in I um, made a TV show called Un- uh, Underground Valley mm-hmm. and I had Buster Douglas on my show. And what an amazing story, big Buster guy. Douglas. He's a
1: big guy now. He's a
0: huge guy. Yeah. I mean, he was just awesome. But when he knocked out Tyson, you know, um, he, he didn't blow the money. And when we did my show, he was building affordable housing in Columbus, Ohio, around the gym that he had trained at so that the folks around there would have quality housing and could afford it. He didn't just blow the money. And most people wouldn't know that story. Mm-hmm. But that's the kind of stuff you don't hear about. Correct. Because you hear about the 80% who, right. are, who are creating headlines. That's what's headlines, in the news. Yeah, yeah who are they creating beat their headlines.
1: their wife, or they hit this, or they did that, or you know, they stole this money. Right, exactly. Those are the stories you hear about with these athletes. I'll give you a great example. We had a gentleman on the, on the show this past season by the name of Charlie Batch. Charlie Batch mm-hmm. was from Pittsburgh. Third string for the Lions for a yeah, while. It's an amazing story. He, he His junior year at Eastern Michigan University, he played football at Eastern Michigan University. His junior year, he got a phone call from his mother back in Pittsburgh, said, son, you got to come home. And he's like, well, I'm right in the middle of workouts, schooling. She's like, no, you need to come home. He's like, well, mom, what's going on? She didn't want to tell him, but eventually had to. She goes, your 17-year-old sister was just murdered by a drive-by shooting. And so he told the coaches at Eastern Michigan University, listen, I got to leave. I'm going to go bury my sister, help my mom. I may not come back. I don't know. i got to see what's going on. Their coaches are like, do whatever you got to do for your family. He went home, buried his sister. His mom's like, nope, go back to Eastern, finish your football career, finish your degree, broke every record at Eastern Michigan University, got drafted by the Lions, played for the Lions, and he got traded to Pittsburgh Steelers, won two Super Bowls with Pittsburgh. Yeah, I know. But this is where the story gets even better. After he was done playing pro football, he created this best-of-the-batch foundation in Pittsburgh. And as a result, he has this inner city sports, he has inner city tutoring to help get kids off the street. And he says, if I can save one kid off the street and honor my sister, this is what he's doing now. So those are the stories we want to get out. Those kind of stories about Charlie Batch and different, I mean, I can tell you, you know, 50 of them from all the different people we've interviewed at this point.
0: And see, I love that. I love that because... You know, uh, as I opened the show, I was talking about how we're bombarded with negativity. I mean, I don't even watch the news. I haven't watched mm-hmm. the news in three years mm-hmm. because that's all you see is this person shot, this person's dead, this is happening bad, this stinks in Washington, this sucks here, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I'm trying to bring is a little light to the world, you mm-hmm. know, and, and being uh, coming up in the skateboard world, we got a bad rap for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, during the whole jackass TV thing, skateboarders are pranksters or this or that or the other thing. And so what I was I've been trying to bring is some positivity mm-hmm. and I think that's why you know we have uh, gravitated you know as as you put this out you're like a magnet you get you get it back and you start to surround yourself with like-minded individuals mm-hmm. and along this journey I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with some great individuals you know these folks at NRM who saw my vision and knew what I wanted to do And that's why we're here today in this inaugural show with Kurt A. David. If you are just tuning in, you'll have to rewind this later because it has just been an awesome journey thus far. The first half of the show, we talked about the history, why Kurt does what he does, why I'm doing what I'm doing. So make sure to rewind it later. But we're sitting here talking with Kurt about how he got to where he got. You know, what was the transition from NBA Developmental League basketball to being a counselor to writing a book to now a nationally syndicated TV show that's going all over the world? You'll be able to get it on Amazon. And it is just an awesome story because the athletes that he's been able to talk to are, are amazing. Doug Smith was an amazing story. He went over to Europe and uh, broke his back. You know, an NHL hockey player broke his back. Quadriplegic. And he, yeah, and realized from the neck on down. And he didn't stop. He didn't stop. Can we talk about Doug a little oh, bit? I know you spoke with yeah. him a few times. We had
1: him on the show twice because his story is so amazing. So Doug Smith is from Ottawa, Canada. He was a number two pick, not number one, but he was a number two pick in an NHL draft, drafted by the LA Kings. Went out to LA at 19 years old. Said it was like a free fall right 19 years old he's got money in his pocket he's driving a Porsche he's living in a condo on the beach right it's like what a life and move forward at 28 years of age he went head for head first into the boards during a game and went instantly from being a pro athlete to a quadriplegic his neck broke and he said that was a seminal moment for him because all of a sudden he went from being a physical being that he, he didn't have that physical being anymore. Mm-hmm. And he talked about being despondent. He says, Yeah, I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even take my own life because I couldn't do anything from my neck on down. And his wife finally got in his face and says, Listen, honey, I love you. You have two beautiful daughters that love you. you, have a lot to live for. He said, at that moment, that changed his thinking and shifted his thinking. So he started looking at, he and his wife started researching more about spinal cord injury. And he realized that his spine was still intact. That his vertebrae was completely shattered all around that, but he had trauma, and that's what caused the paralysis. So over the course of 14 years, physical therapy, other research, and things that they did, he went from being a quadriplegic to he's now walking. He's a motivational speaker and author. He's got some, you know, he's got some mobility challenges, but uh, you know, he's still able to put on a sk- pair of skates and skate again. And so, what a great story! And that's one of the reasons why we want to have him on. We've had him on twice now because of that story. And there's so much more to it. He's a best-selling author. He travels and does keynote speaking. Uh, you know, those are the stories we want to get out there.
0: Yeah, and as I, uh, after meeting him or seeing him on your show, I follow him on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. I pay attention to what yeah, he's doing. Yeah, what he's doing now. And, uh, And I'm like, man, maybe we get him in the NRM studios, you know, when he's in town, maybe get him to stop by and visit with us, because that's an amazing story. Absolutely. I love to hear about the stories like that where where they're given zero chance. Most of the time, people with any kind of spinal cord issue are given zero chance. They they tell you. He didn't accept that. Yeah, you're never going to walk again. There's a gentleman uh, in the skateboard world named John Cardiel, same kind of thing. He was ran over by a trailer, a friend, you know, just going to grab something, didn't see him run him over, and uh, he spent three months in Australia, and as uh, he came back, and they said, you know, you're not going to walk again, you'll never skate again, you you figure it out. And uh, it was not too long later, I saw some footage of him about 07, I think the injury happened in 03, 07, he's dropping in again, and he's riding a fixed gear bike around San Francisco, and he's DJing, and he's got a very positive attitude. Plus, he's doing these other things to, again, stay mentally busy, keep the adrenaline going, not totally freak out and sit at home and go, look what I maybe I could have been this if this accident didn't happen. Figuring out a way to continue to contribute to society, to be a good person and to fire other people up. That dude has inspired millions like Doug Smith has. And he inspired me when I heard the story. I needed to know more. And that's a huge Mm -hmm. part of why we're doing the drop in here today is so you look at uh, look at uh, the background of the guests, the background of myself, get inspired, get motivated to get off the couch and make the best life you can because we only have one shot. And so, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Sometimes it's overcoming, overcoming some crazy hurdles. Like Kurt was saying, he had to come home and spend a year to like decompress and figure out what was going on because he was going through a huge life change. You come back from Europe where you're dunking basketballs basically for a living on a free vacation And now you get snapped back into reality like, oh, I got bills to pay and stuff like that. You know, for me, it was going on the weekends, competing in pro contests and signing autographs for hours at a time and then coming home and having to punch a clock. So you go from Rockstar back to Simpleton. That's not an easy transition to to make and um, helping people to do that. Especially, you know, when when you have people who are making six and seven-figure seven, seven figure incomes. And now all of a sudden, like you said, some athletes are busy 12 months a year. Those guys don't stop training. Those mm-hmm. guys aren't, aren't done when the season's done. These guys train all year round. They have to. And, and so now yeah, they have to. when they're told, you don't have to train anymore. You could sit on the couch and eat a bunch of Cheetos and drink whatever you want and do whatever you want. And that's fun for a minute. And then you're like, now what? You know, after two weeks of sitting there doing whatever you do, now what? I
1: I laugh. We had Rick Mahorn on the show, right? Bad boy from the Detroit Pistons. We had Rick Mahorn on. And one of his best lines was, I said, well, you know, tell me about this transition out of pro sports when you're done playing. And his famous line with a smile was, well, I enjoyed it for about a week. That's it. That is it. Literally. It was about a week, and then I was done. I'm like, oh, I don't like this, right? You know, it's nice not having the schedule, not having all these responsibilities, having to work out. All
0: of a sudden it's like, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then and then what? You know, when you see a lot of these guys go into coaching or go into some facet It keeps them involved with the sport. Yeah, yeah staying involved. Absolutely. And it's it's just as much as, as for them as it is for the athletes around them because you cannot pay for the advice of somebody who's been through where you're going. So as the young athletes come in, you got people like McCarty or like Rick Mahorn or like whoever giving you advice. It it streamlines that process it helps to get Tremendously, there. absolutely. It, yeah. And you can't pay for that. So these guys are, are irreplaceable if they do get involved mm-hmm. with the sport or the organization that they came up with, but many of them don't. And they go home and they're on the, you know, their giant ranch or wherever they, they've created this, this total utopia kind of society for themselves. And, and now, though, when you get to two, three, four weeks, maybe, maybe it takes six months. And you're like, this is great, but, but it what? ain't doing it for right. me. It ain't doing it. So now what do I do? And then what do you do? What do you do at that point? And I like what you did. You know, you decided, yes. OK, I can help others. And so let's talk yeah, about well, the- girl,
1: to be honest, that was my motivation for writing the book.
0: That's what I was when just going to get yeah, into. Let's I, get into writing the book. When
1: I wrote the book. First of all, it was um, probably three years, three and a half years of, of very much. Uh, it, it was very uncomfortable. Let me put it that way. It took me about three years to write the book between the interviews and the actual writing prices. We had a young family, so between, you know, mom and kids are going to the grocery store, okay, I got a couple hours, let me go write a little bit. Being up at 3 a.m., doing some writing, doing the interviews, it was very challenging. And so one of the first things I always tell people, especially if you're interested in writing a book, is there's a lot of tenacity involved. There's times you're gonna feel like, man, why am I doing this? What's my why, what's my purpose? Mm-hmm. That's the driving force for everything, really, in my opinion, whether it be writing a book or whatever it is we do on a daily basis. But when writing the book, my why and my purpose was, boy, if one athlete can read this and it helps them in their transition, it's well worth it. That was my motivation. That's what kept me going, grinding when I didn't feel like grinding, writing when I didn't feel like grinding, writing. And uh, I'm so glad because when I got done with it, it turned into so much more. Yeah. It was more than just, boy, this isn't just to help an athlete in transition. People are enjoying these stories about their athletes. And, wow, I didn't know that about Charlie Batch. I didn't know that about Manon Rayon, who was the first woman to play NHL. I didn't know that about Ray Lewis, who, you know, two-time Super Bowl champ and MVP. And all these people that we've interviewed that have great, amazing stories that a lot of people don't know a lot of those details about.
0: And that's, you know, again, I, I talk about uh, our common paths, mm-hmm. you know. And when I did the t- the TV show, it was the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we met. And I really enjoyed you gave me your elevator speech of what the book was about mm-hmm. and that was cool. But then talking afterwards or, or we we spoke for like half hour hour that day, the modesty and why your why mm-hmm. really resonated with me at that time and I'm stoked we're still friends today. I mean, this is again a something I could never dream of. I could never I couldn't have written this, this scenario down to be in a studio doing a live streamcast with Kurt A. David and all of you watching the the show. It's just, it's phenomenal. It's it's, it's dreamlike and I'm so stoked to have you here today. Yeah, can I say something about that too? It's not just about
1: you and I, it's about the stories that we have that we've learned along the way, right? Mm -hmm. If we're just sharing about me, it's pretty empty. If we're just sharing about you, I mean, you have some great things, but it's also about these stories and our
0: journey and helping others through our journey. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, uh, I know it's a little different for you here today. Kurt's usually the one interviewing everybody. Yeah,
1: this is refreshing, actually. <laughs> I get to be on this side of the microphone versus the other side asking all the questions.
0: And that's what he said sitting down. I said, you don't usually get interviewed very often, do you? And he said, no, I'm always on the other side of the mic. It's sort of nice not to have to calculate what I need to say and to carry the conversation and stuff. So that's my job today, to get to carry the conversation a little bit or just like prod them into the right direction because we could talk for days. I guarantee we could talk for days because there's so much cool stuff That you glean from somebody else's journey that's what we're doing here on the drop in that's what kurt's doing on from glory days tv is talking about other people's journeys and and so many so many of the stories resonate with everybody every person in every walk of life Will get something out of this show, out of his show, and so that's why we're doing what we're doing. Like you just said, it's everybody else's stories. Our stories are pretty cool, and you'll get there. You watch the whole, the next 26 episodes of this show or all the episodes, the back episodes from Glory Days, you'll hear more about Kurt as he's interviewing others. You get little bits and pieces. Today, you'll probably get more than you'll get out of all those other shows Yeah, because I'm typically
1: one asking the questions. I'm not answering the questions, so it's very different in that sense. I don't tell a lot of my story during the shows. It's the other, it's my my guest stories. That's mm-hmm. what I'm
0: looking to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, to get back to that, when you, after you wrote the book, yes. you know, and, and it, when did you realize you wanted to make a TV show? Or how did you get go from book to TV yeah, show no, to where a, you're at?
1: That's a great question. We we hit a regional bestseller, so the book became a regional bestseller, which I, I didn't find out about until three months afterwards when one of the managers of Barnes & Noble at that time says, hey, your book had a bestseller list. Did you know that? And I'm like, no, I had no idea. I was out hustling, doing all these different signings. Every weekend I was traveling somewhere. And so it was kind of a nice little gem to know that, that it hit a regional bestseller. And at that time, we started talking to radio stations and said, boy, what about doing a weekly radio show from Glory Days where we interview former professional athletes? And we talked about it to a couple of the local sports stations at that time who were very, very interested. And all of a sudden, about two or three weeks after our initial conversation with the managers and the GM, it went quiet. And we realized, oh, my goodness, their channel's been cleared. There was a lot of transition and firing during that time with sports radio so we my agent and i each looked at each other like we don't want to do anything to do with that at that that was just too unstable so mm-hmm. we decided to create the tv show and started very modestly extremely modestly did nine episodes very simple bicycled out to other cable access stations that was season one we kept asking you know people kept asking do you have more shows do you have more we're like okay this is bigger than this So then we scaled to the next level, we went to PBS the next season because we were working on a From Glory Days documentary and we thought, boy, this would be great if we can go to PBS and have a series lead up to our documentary. And we were on eight different states, I believe, with PBS. The only challenge, it was very hard to fund. Very difficult to fund. So I said, we got to go commercial. You're
0: reading my mind, because I'm thinking, this is all awesome. Yeah. You know, and coming from somebody in the industry, I'm thinking, how do you fund it, man?
1: Right. It doesn't matter how great of an idea you have. If you can't fund it, it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. So season three, we went commercial, uh, aired locally here in Metro Detroit and Lansing, some other venues that had a very good turnaround. What was interesting is that year we had 250,000 followers or impressions, so to speak that was season 3 season 4 we went from 250 to over 750,000 so again it was continuing to scale what was really amazing about season 4 is we won an emmy award and we haven't talked about that yet in fact i didn't bring it i should have brought it you should have brought it what were you thinking
0: it. i wasn't Clearly. Next time uh, you're on the show, you got to bring the I'll Emmy. bring it, yes. I know we have a picture of it somewhere, a picture is a of Kurt we'll, we'll get so, that up. But how did that happen? There it happen? is, yeah.
1: There's our team right there. There's our director out of New York. He's the shorter guy with the dark hair. That's Michael Stern. He's our director. Uh, Robert Moore is our executive producer to my right. And so, that was the night that we won the Emmy Award. And let me tell you a little bit about that, because we we were hoping in Season 3 we would get a nomination, we just didn't get nomination in Season 3, but in Season 4, we got the notice that we got nominated. So, we're renting our tuxedos, we're going there with our wives, and we're at this event, and they tell us, they say, well, we were sitting in the upper section, right? They said, before your category gets called, come on down, right? We don't have to wait for you to come all the way from the upper deck if you happen to win. So before our category, we get down, we're getting off to the stage, off to the side, and literally we're standing there, and the category right before us, they announce the winner of that category. Well, I mentioned to these guys standing there with me, I says, that show that just won is in our category, too. I'm thinking, uh oh.
0: Right, you know, right. a twofer. Our, right, right, exactly.
1: Maybe they're going to get a back to back. And you know, I don't want to say I was discouraged, but I thought maybe our chances aren't as good. They must have a good show because they just won in the category right before us. Mm-hmm. And now and they're in our category as well. And so when they announced our name, and, and we got a video of it because the wives were videotaping, you, you can hear them screaming, we're going up there. And it was just, it, it was a real honor. And let me tell you why. For me, Building a bigger platform is so I can do bigger good. Yes. That's yes. the motivation. It's not It's not about me. It's not about, you know, it's about bigging, building a better platform, a bigger platform, so I can have more of an impact in life. And so it was an exciting night. The Emmy Award's been great. It's been exciting to um, be able to use that as a platform to continue to do even more good and build it even bigger as mm-hmm. a result, mm-hmm. which we're in the process of doing. Uh, image is coming up right now. It's Billy Sims. Oh, nice. Uh, Billy Sims, Heisman Trophy winner. Funny story about Billy uh, he was not in football. You know what his best sports were growing up? Uh-huh. Gymnastics and baseball. He
0: I can't w- even picture him on a balance beam or uh, anything like that. Imagine that.
1: But he was in gymnastics. He was uh, you know living in Kansas and he was living or St. Louis and he was living there. Gymnastics and baseball. And when he in eighth grade, he moved from St. Louis to Texas to live with his grandmother. And everybody in Texas says, hey, you're pretty athletic, you gotta play football. And he's like, well, I've never played
0: football before. Yeah, if you don't play football in Texas, right. you're like on the outskirts. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: the problem was, and this is, a, I guess you could call it a problem, is they said, you're pretty athletic, we're gonna make you a running back. He said something about being chased by 11 guys motivates you to run even faster. Uh, right, <laughs> and right. so that's what got him into football. He ended up going to uh, Oklahoma, won a Heisman Trophy there mm-hmm. as a junior. He was runner-up as senior, he almost won it back-to-back. Back. He was runner-up his senior year. Wow! So he could have won two years of Heisman Trophy, being the best in the country. Came to the Lions, was having a great, great career. Had an unfortunate, untimely injury. I was going to say he did, He wasn't nope. in the
0: show very long.
1: Nope. He had a knee injury that he just could not come back from. But the neat story is, and this is what he's doing now. He has 70 Billy Sims barbecues. Yeah, 70, 70. He's got probably two or three here in Metro Detroit, but most of them are out in Oklahoma, out that area. But he's got. That's what he's doing now.
0: And see, how cool is that? You know, you said, you know, as as things grow, it gives you the opportunity to reach more people. And when this opportunity at uh, New Radio Media came, and we really, we we all, everybody involved, everybody involved. They, they realized what the path was like. They saw and, the vision. And yes. And, and for me, it's the same kind of thing. Well, now I can reach a wider audience Absolutely. with more positive stories and inspire more people. You know, I started this uh, 10 years ago or however long ago, and it was like you. I just want to inspire one. You know, if I speak to a whole school, I want one, if one person so hears it's been me, an
1: overnight success for you, 10-year overnight success. <laughs> we're going right? to get to your quote the other day
0: <laughs> because he had a great quote, and it's coming up next. But, yeah, you know, it was the same, same drive as what you had, though. You know, if one person hears it, rock and roll, you know, just one. And so that's why, you know, I keep doing it. Because it, it continues to reach more people. And I'm like, the more I can do it, the more I can get out there, the more cool people I get to talk to. You feel to. like you're
1: living your purpose as a result. Yes,
0: living on purpose yes. and living my purpose. And, yes. uh and so the other day when we were talking pre, pre-show, pre we were talking about our journey together, how long it took us to get here. And, and Kurt said, and I have it actually, it's in our, in our right in front of me, it says, I'm a 20-year overnight success. So let's talk a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, you because... can
1: actually technically look at it even longer if you talk about playing days. But yeah, literally, I mean, there is no overnight success, right? There's overnight wealth that can happen with people. And if you consider that success, then I guess, yeah, that's an overnight success. But I don't consider wealth my measure of success success wealth is a byproduct right wealth follows excellence so my goal is to build excellence that said you know if you look at the journey of, of most people that you could deem successful you can see the the, the hard knocks and the, and the journey and the travel for me it started I mean if you look at more most recently it started with the book writing the book and the idea of the, of the book, probably came around 2003, 2004, so that's almost 15 years ago that that idea came. And then it just kind of came to fruition from there and continued to grow and blossom. And what's neat is the, the, the book turned as a platform, the book became a platform for the TV show. The TV show has now become a platform for my speaking I do keynote speaking, mm-hmm. and which has become a platform for something even bigger that you and I haven't even talked about. I, I co-founded an organization called Purpose Point.
0: It was coming next. It was okay, coming. We're, we're going to talk there. about All the right. event because it's only like two weeks away yeah, or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're getting right there, right. there. Okay. But great. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So uh, you know the, the platforms continue to build and build, and so from a keynote speaker to now actually with Purpose Point, our purpose is to help people find their mission, vision, and values. Right. Reconnect with their purpose. In other words, we have other keynote speakers. We have executive coaches is we have uh, leadership training. So it's not just me anymore. It's a bigger group of talent that we can promote. And we have a Purpose Summit coming up here. Here in Detroit, it's our first inaugural summit as a result. We have another one coming up here in Dallas. And so I'll be speaking at it. We have some other speakers there as well as breakouts. And the whole idea is organizational and individual purpose. That's the whole purpose of the summit, is to help people focus on that as an organization. Because what we're finding is some people start off with a purpose. In fact, an organization starts off with a purpose. Typically, it starts off with a purpose, and then they start getting into hiring more and more people as they grow. Then they start getting into more and more processes. And then they get so focused on profits, they forgot about their purpose. Mm-hmm. And so it's reconnecting those. And so the image you see right here that's up right now, that's a commencement. I did a commencement presentation there for graduation, college graduation. And so that's that's one of my passions now. The TV show is fun for me. It's it's great. And, and one of the things that I enjoy is building a bigger platform with that. But the speaking is really where I'm passionate at. I do over 140 presentations, paid presentations a year so it's really um, that's taken off that I do a lot of speaking as a result really enjoy that part of it because to me that's where I can change lives I can really have more of an impact doing that and uh, the TV show is a platform for me to do more of that to be honest because it gives me more credibility it's like oh that guy's on TV right he's
0: got this show and right so, right exactly exactly and and so you're doing quite a juggling act you know i i know people look at me oftentimes and they're like how do you do it all yeah how do you you're everywhere Gary." i just how asked do-
1: myself that yesterday i had a, a mentoring group that i belong to that we sat down and one of my questions was how do i balance all this is there something i need to cut off my load to look the-? because i believe you have to be singularly focused right mm-hmm. to have the best that you can do to do the best you can you have to be almost singularly focused and what is it that that i want to focus on that's one of the things i have the tv show i have the speaking i have the purpose point so those are the questions i'm i'm handling right now as well myself
0: yeah and i i had to do that myself is because i had to put down what was going on what are my top priorities and you know i had to quit playing drums in a touring band Mm -hmm. you know that Mm -hmm. wasn't the top priority anymore probably a lot of fun oh it's an awesome time you know with a bunch of skateboarders we get to run around the country play punk rock music and ride our skateboards like what can possibly go and you wrong. You actually got paid? <laughs> we made it. We yeah, made it. Yeah, it it wasn't money out of pocket. So it was it was a very cool time. But I had to figure out what was my priority. Mm-hmm. Where where what was number one, one A and one B mm-hmm. and it's it turned into this show is number one. Everything else is after that. Mm-hmm. And and it's a huge priority because again this builds on this builds on Correct. this builds on this and for me it's to reach a bigger audience a bigger audience and to be a little bit selfish to talk to some of the people that i admire that i maybe haven't talked to yet you know to get them in here and inspire me just like i want to inspire you so with that you know you keep building you keep building you keep yes. juggling how about uh the new addition to the family let's talk about that a little yeah, bit yeah so
1: we haven't talked about the personal life so my wife and i have been married for quite a few years we have three kids we have two daughters and we had a little surprise uh, just under a couple years ago, So, yeah. as a matter of fact. So we have a two-year-old boy. So we have two daughters. Oh, there's the David Zoo, as we call it. We joke about that being in front of the Austin Zoo. But actually, that's our David Zoo. So my wife and I have a 16-year-old daughter, 11-year-old daughter, and an 18-month-old. He's 22 months old now, son. So it's been a little change in our household, but um, wouldn't wouldn't trade it for
0: the world. Wow. Yeah, wow. It's,
1: it's the most important thing to me, no question about it. I mean, I'm a man of faith and a man of values, and so to me— Everything I do has to focus back on my family, providing for my family, providing them something bigger and better as a result.
0: Right on, right on. Yeah, it blew my mind because the first time we talked and we were trying to connect for this show, you're like, did you hear that in the background? And I'm like thinking you're babysitting. I really did. I thought you were babysitting or something. And you're like, no, we had a little surprise, man. I got an addition. And I'm like dude, but you were fired up about it. Oh, it's a great. You said it I mean, with, with a glow in your voice, yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. I don't
1: believe God makes mistakes. I think he's got a sense of humor in our case with this situation, but uh, I don't believe in mistakes, and so it's been great. I'm I'm home most of the time. I'm probably out of the house 15, 20 hours a week at the very most, and so I'm home a lot, and so that's kind of a nice thing as I get to hang out and just kind of spend some time.
0: Right on, right on. So let's talk a, a little bit more about this event you're having in a couple of weeks. Yeah. If, if anybody who's watching or listening oh, would like great. more information about it because I'm I'm thinking about coming out. Yeah, like, no, I, I'm very, it, very it, inspired. It, it's by two it.
1: days worth of speakers and breakouts, and and we have some great. Spe- I mean, I'm speaking. We have other speakers. Herman Moore is going to be there as well, closing oh, cool. up day number one. Former Detroit Lion talking about his transition, and the idea is talking about how do we. Find our purpose. How do we recreate our purpose? If we, if, if you, maybe some people are living in their purpose. How do I enhance that? Maybe I, I need to find new purpose because we, you know, our purposes are all built on our own skills and abilities, right? Everybody has their own skills and abilities, and sometimes it changes throughout life, and so we, we have organizations coming in that we want to talk organizationally. How does an organization reconnect with their purpose? How do individuals reconnect with their purpose? And that's the whole um, metamorphosis of the two days of events. So all the breakouts, all the speakers are, are revolving around that. Um, To find out more information, you can go to PurposeSummit.usa, PurposeSummit.usa, and you'll find all information about that. Also, the organization is called Purpose Point. That's an easy thing. Mm -hmm. Or you can go to my website, KurtDavid.com, because there's a link from there to go to the Purpose Summit as well. And so any of those will get you there, find out more information, see if it's a match. It's actually extremely economical for two days, including lunch as well and so it's a very reasonable price as well for people.
0: And where is it at? It's going to be
1: right here in Detroit. Uh, In fact it's called Durfee Innovation Society. Neat story and why we're holding it there. This is a former middle school that closed down in Detroit. Huge middle school right next to Detroit Central High School. They closed it down. Uh, This organization by the name of Life Remodeled came in and said boy we really want to help impact communities. And so they are leasing the property from the city with the idea that they're going to use this as an innovation Hub. They want people to come in, do different things. They're doing trades there. They're doing different things to help the community build again. And so one of the things we thought is, boy, let's have the summit there, and uh, and 100% of our proceeds are are being donated right back to Life Remodeled and that Durfee Innovation Center. So 100%. Right now, I think it's over $50,000 that we're donating as a result of this event. And so that's what it's all about.
0: I'm just shaking my head because, you know, I'm working on a project downriver. i uh, mm-hmm. working with the Hawk Foundation, and we got a, a quarter-million-dollar grant, and we're really doing it for the community. Yeah, And great. I called a friend of mine, a guy who started my skateboard passion, and he's in a wheelchair. He had an accident about 10 years ago. He races many hydroplanes, too. Mm. And uh, when I called him, he's like, I haven't talked to him in six years. And he said, uh, Gerald, I was just thinking about you because I want to— do something to help in the community. I think we're losing community. Mm -hmm. And you brought up the term community and and talking about what you're doing with Purpose Point to help build the community, build some strong ties, build some connections, build some purpose. And I just spoke with him Saturday. He was at our first skate park meeting and he wants to be as involved as he possibly can because of the community that he grew up in because he was a a, a lifer in Wyandotte. And it's just, again, the synchronicities are are incredible because because we haven't really spoke too much in the last five, six, seven years. Yeah, we've I haven't been doing spoke our own with thing. him five, six, seven years and all of us are talking about the same thing yeah. and that's so cool. Isn't it's it? so cool, um, it, It's it, it always it boggles my mind often, and I don't know why, because it happens a lot with me, but I still get blown away yes. when a coincidence happens or somebody I'm thinking about or whatever, and it all comes together. I speak with an old friend or somebody I hadn't speak spoken with in a while, and we're doing the same things, just on a little bit different level, yes. blows me away still. But it gets me so stoked. It's like-mindedness, right?
1: It's that like-mindedness of, of mind and purpose and thinking, okay, this is where I want to go. And, the, you know, people have different talents and different abilities. You wouldn't want to see me on a skateboard? Believe yeah. me, you would not want to see me on a skateboard, maybe as much as I don't want to see you on a basketball court. With right? a
0: trampoline, I, I could dunk. I okay, bet. well, trampoline, Give me trampoline.
1: Yeah, but you have different talents. We all have different talents. And in the audience, people that are watching and listening today, there's different talents. And it's just optimizing those talents to do more good.
0: Yeah, right. Well, unfortunately, and I told Kurt before he even got in the studio, I'm like, we're going to have to book a couple of shows because we didn't even hit on some of the stuff I really wanted to hit on. My man's giving birthday cakes to homeless children. Yes. We didn't hit on that. Um we, yeah, we we're got, giving
1: back. That's one of the give backs. Yeah. yeah,
0: we got more to do. And so I imagine you're going to end up coming back and spending I'll another hour with us here at NRM at the drop-in. But man, dude, so much cool stuff. Thanks. And we have so much more in common. Then, I mean, I even I even knew like an hour ago, yeah. you know, and that's why I was excited to have you in studio with us here today because it's like we're on a common path and, and we're even more, there's more uh, camaraderie there than I even could imagine. Yes. And again, with you guys, just make sure to check them out. Make sure to check out Purpose Point and everything else. So with that, thank you and... Uh, Come back and visit with us very soon. I think we ran out of time, but I'm going to try to uh, say just keep on watching. Keep getting inspired. Come back and visit us even more. So thank you very much. I'm Gerald Valley and this has been The Drop-In.